What a privilege to be together, and we continue in this series in 1 Thessalonians. And what I'd like to do is just go verse by verse this morning, but really dig down into Paul's prayer. Paul starts to pray here. For three or so chapters, he's been uh, just ex- encouraging them, thanking them, expressing great joy, and then he bursts into prayer in verse 11, and we'll get there in a minute. But I just want to ask you, first of all, as Paul says, I've been desperate for Timothy to get back. To the, he says to the Thessalonians, I've been waiting to get this report about how you're doing, because he doesn't know how they're doing, right, until Timothy arrives. And so perhaps you've experienced something of a fear when you don't know what's going on. Have you ever experienced that? Maybe a job interview and you didn't have had a reply back and you're wondering, <laughs> will I get a reply? Will it be favorable? Anyone experience that or just me? Just me, okay. Obviously, I don't interview that well. What about application to university? You're wondering if you're going to get into the uni you want or the school you want. What about getting exam results back? Anyone doing an MBA here? (laughs) Did I pass? Did I fail? You don't know. You're waiting for the news, right? What about um, putting in your leave request? You want to go on holiday and you don't know if that's been approved (laughs) and you're waiting. When the email comes through, you've got this excited anticipation. What about asking someone out on a dinner date? Tip to the young people, you should do that face-to-face. Don't do that in a text message. Just saying. (laughs) Waiting for a reply. So this is not FOMO, the fear of missing out. This is what I call FONK. (laughs) The fear of not knowing. (laughs) All right. Maybe Zeke can put that in a wrap and get it out into the culture. Funk. <laughs> the fear of not knowing. And Paul has this fear of not knowing. Are they doing well? What's going on? And so this report comes back from Timothy, and it's good news. He got the job. He got the date. He, it's a yes. <laughs> They're doing well. And he says the good news, though, to him is not any of these uh, trivial matters, although those matters may feel very important when you're in the midst of them those ones I've mentioned, but his, his great joy is that their faith and their love is growing and continuing. And so he says, this is such good news. Your faith and your love, Timothy's told me, are doing well. And he's, it's actually just brings joy to his heart. In, in the letter to the Corinthians, Paul has said, faith without love is just a noisy symbol. You know that scripture, if you've been to a wedding, you've probably heard it. The Corinthians were having a faith, but no love. And he says, that's, it's worth nothing. But the Thessalonians, he says, your faith and your love are doing well. And it's bringing him great joy. He says, because you love, I am filled with joy. This seems to be a key ingredient for Paul about a healthy church. If you're loving and full of faith, he's very, very excited. And he says, in fact, he says, for this reason, brothers, in all my distress and affliction, that we have been comforted through your faith. For now we really live in that you, because you are standing fast in the Lord. Paul says, now I'm really living. Now uh, this is life to me. This is a kind of a joy and a life to me. I'm actually uh, changed. I feel more alive from hearing this report. I don't know about you, but what's, what's on display is Paul's heart, right? What brings him joy? People are growing in Jesus, brings him joy. Paul's idol was that people were loving Jesus more. <laughs> if you have an idol, you know, something that you, exo- that you get life from, you know, something that you exalt, that's kind of ultimate. 
you can do that very badly. It can become, you know, food, <laughs> pleasure, all sorts of things. Paul's one that brings him up that he rarely gets joy from, he seeks the joy from, is knowing that people are growing in Jesus, they're loving Jesus more. Paul's idol was people loving Jesus more. There's nothing like seeing people love Jesus more, according to Paul. What makes you feel alive? What brings you joy? What makes you feel alive? When do you really live? I can tell you a few of mine, if you like. When I get extra sleep, then I'm a very happy person. Yeah? <laughs> See, I'm not the only one. When I get a salted caramel croissant, I'm very happy. Anyone? Let's see a hand. Harry? Okay, Harry's with me. <laughs> Superficial items, right? And these are temporary. What is our ultimate joy and our ultimate happiness? Well, it's always found in Jesus. Paul then says in verse 9, I'm, giving, I'm rushing quickly through these verses because I'd love to focus on the prayer this morning, giving us a little bit of context. Paul's great joy is to find out that these guys are doing well and their love is growing. He says, for what thanksgiving can I return to God for you, for all of the joy that I feel for your sake before God. Paul has a feeling of joy. You know that emotions are part of the gospel? It's kind of, sometimes in the church we want to divide. Either it's emotional and that's a problem, or it's no, no emotions, it's only truth, and that's all there is. The gospel is both of those together. Paul has such great joy because he's seeing what the gospel is doing in people's lives. When you meet God, when you behold God, as we sang this morning, wow. How could you ever be the same after beholding God? How could you feel nothing? Surely the gospel changes our hearts. If we're rarely loved, it does something to you. Have you ever been blessed or rarely loved by someone? Did you feel nothing? Did you feel some kind of joy, some kind of, oh, I can't believe this happened? can't believe they did that for me? Paul's joy has increased because of their faith and their love. So what causes you joy? Again, I'll tell you one of mine. Again, salted caramel croissant. Anyone agree? Harry, again? All right. What causes you joy? <laughs> So this is the context in which Paul is describing the Thessalonians, and then he arrives at verse 11, and that's where we want to focus, uh, from verse 10, to, 10 through to 13 this morning. And he says, he sets up this, he says, we've been praying most earnestly for you day and night that we might see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Paul says, I've been praying most earnestly. The word earnest there is like hyper We've been hyper-praying. If anyone's seen a hyper, I have a few children. Some of them are hyper. You might have experienced that. Hyper, they are hyper-engaged <laughs> hyper or hyper-something. Paul says, I'm hyper-praying. It's just the Greek word where we get our word hyper from. He is, he's just engaged in prayer. Paul preaches the gospel and he prays. That's what he's, he's doing. He holds out the gospel and he prays. What a beautiful picture of someone who loves Jesus. Holding out the gospel and praying. And we have a prayer meeting in the mornings now, just a quick plug, <laughs> before the service, 9.30 to 9.45, come and join us for prayer. But Paul says, I'm hyper praying, I'm, I'm really just um, giving myself to praying for you. And he says, my prayer is that we would see each other face to face. 
Mark preached on this last week, the, the beauty and the, and the goodness and the grace of God to us in being face to face. So I don't want to uh, sit on that point, but Paul wants to see them, right? As Mark preached last week, Paul assumes that being face to face is good. In fact, he says, I want to supply what is lacking by not being face to face. So Paul assumes not being, there's a lack in not being face to face. I don't know if you've thought about that from this text. Face to face is how he longs to supply what is lacking. And we don't do face to face very well in our culture. We sort of cultivate um, non face to face, right? Social media, text messages. We do anything to avoid face to face. Anyone been there? Or is it just me? Avoid face to face. If you have a, if you have a choice, do you choose face to face or text messages? Depends. Depends on the situation. Such such wise people at King's Cross. <laughs> Paul chooses, he says, I would rather be face-to-face -face with you, but plan B, I'll write this letter. We don't do face-to-face -face very well. And in fact, you know, the written, in the written form, this is uh, free of charge, free tip, never assume any emotion in written communications. That's what I do. So if you, because it's so hard to create, uh, to create a good emotion, you can do it, you can put wonderful emotion into it, and it can be, there can be emotions, I'm not saying, come on, but I always just assume information, and if I assume the heart, I face-to-face. Hey, great, you sent that message, it was super confusing, why don't we chat, and, we, and it's normally much clearer, much easier. And so in our culture, we don't do that very well, we just rely on, we read all the emotions out of uh, text messages, out of posts on social media, we assume a lot of emotions. That's why face-to-face -face is better. Also, you know what happens in face-to-face? -face? You have to be honest in face-to-face. -face. If I'm having a bad day, and I'm talking to Jib, he can normally see it. It gets worse the, the, the closer you are to people, you know. So my wife and children experience then the best of me and the worst of me. They're the most face-to-face. -face. And so they, when I'm having a bad day, when I'm being impatient, grumpy, or angry, they can normally tell. And so face-to-face -face means that love has to get involved because now they have to cover me. Now they have to cover over my sin. We're in, if we were just writing, you hide all that sin. <laughs> you know, who's, it's very rare that you unleash all your anger in a text message, right? Sometimes, if you're very mad. <laughs> but most of all, written communication hides us from each other, whereas face-to-face -face causes us to be honest in our weakest moments. You can still pretend face-to-face, -face, of course, but face-to-face -face brings us to a place where we have to love each other and so paul says what is lacking i want to i want to come and meet you face to face so i can impart it to you what is lacking is not just a doctrine not just a teaching he wants to be with them to impart something to them it's not just doctrine it's perhaps something more profound love and culture a culture that he wants a presence that he wants with them he wants them to experience his love. And so he assumes that they can still grow. He says, I want to supply what is lacking in your faith. You know, earlier he just praised them for three chapters about how great their faith was. You remember that? Your faith has been known everywhere. Your love for each other has been told through the whole region of Macedonia. You guys have great faith and love. And then he says, but I want to come to you and supply something that's lacking in your faith and love. So his assumption then is what? that they can grow some more in love and in faith. 
if you're brave enough, why don't you say to the person next to you, I can still grow in faith and love. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for being brave. <laughs> what a truth. We can still grow in faith and love. That's what Paul is showing us here. And this is his prayer. He says, now, he begins to pray. Verse 11 to 13. He breaks out into prayer. He just starts praying. Now, may God do this. May God do this. May God do this. My wife's a lot like this. She'll just break out into prayer in the middle of moments. You know, we're kind of talking and then there's prayer going on. I'm like, whoa. It used to really annoy me. <laughs> she's more like Paul than I am I'm slowly catching up to her spirituality and her maturity in Jesus but she just starts to pray, it's wonderful she just turns it into prayer she's, she'll, we'll be talking about something and she'll, instead of, you know, normally I just want to talk a bit more complain a bit more, whinge a bit more she'll just turn it straight into prayer it's so amazing and that's what Paul does here he's, he's, he's saying, I want you to grow and then he just starts praying and he prays for a few things. He just breaks into prayer. He says, may, and notice three times he says a word like this, may God do this. May our God, may the Lord, may he establish you. So all of his prayers center around who? Around God. God's going to have to do this. God, may you grow, the, grow these people in love. God, may you transform our hearts. So he's not saying, Thessalonians, you guys must try a lot harder. He's saying, I know we need God for this. If we're to grow in love, we need God and his spirit to work in us. And so he breaks into prayer, and it's a prayer of transformation. He's praying for a transformation. But the direction of that prayer is, God, would you do it? May God, may the Lord, may he establish you. Verse 11, now may God, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. May God do this. He prays for a closeness. He says, God, would you bring us together? In fact, in, in chapter 2, remember he said Satan had hindered us from being together? When Satan hinders you, what's a good response? Pray. We've, Satan stopped us from being face to face. God, may you bring us together. If you've been hindered, if you're feeling you're struggling in something, you know what a beautiful response is? Take it to God in prayer. God, I've been hindered from X, Y, or Z. God, would you bring us together? He prays. I think Satan would hinder us less if we turned every hindrance into prayer. <laughs> Imagine every time you, Satan does something, you just turn it to prayer. Eventually he's going to be like, hey, don't, don't do that to that guy. He just prays all the whole time. <laughs> he just starts praying and then God gets involved and um, yep. <laughs> but if we carry on doing it, us trying to fix it ourselves, he's like, this is, this is a good plan. This is working. Just keep up with the hindrances. <laughs> what a wonderful thing. What a wonderful picture of prayer to turn a hindrance into prayer. God, would you bring us closer together? And what a beautiful prayer. God, would you bring us as a church closer together? And Paul's prayer is answered in Acts chapter 20. He finally gets to meet them. Verse 12, he says, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you. The second part that Paul prays for is an abounding of love. Again, Paul assumes that God has to do this. May the Lord increase your love. Every person in every church can increase and abound in love. They can grow, we can grow. I know how others can grow. 
that's easy. Who knows how others can grow in love? Anyone got any clue? <laughs> if you would like to know how others can grow in love, you can come see me or anyone else in this room and they'll tell you very quickly. I want to ask you a question, how can I grow in love? Ask yourself this question, how do I grow in love? I'm sure we have a, a long list of how others can grow in love. How can my children grow in love? Come ask me, I'll tell you. How can my wife grow in love? Come ask me, I'll tell you. How can I grow in love? Somehow I have a strange blank there, which should not be. God help me to grow in love. Grow in love for each other. Increase and abound in love. The increase and abounding in love, I want you to think about this. He says your love can increase, and we kind of said to each other earlier, if you were brave, I can grow, I can increase. Paul says you can increase and abound in love. That word abound means to overflow, to burst your banks with love. Is that even possible? To keep increasing in love until your, your banks burst, until it becomes just an outpouring. You can almost see it through this whole letter. Paul's love is just overflowing for this, this church. And the reason that's true is because love is not a zero game. You know what a zero game is? When you've only got so many pieces, when you've got, if you're playing checkers or something, you've got, I don't know, 10 or 12 pieces. And once they're gone, they're gone. Once they're used up, it's finished. Love doesn't work like that. Love multiplies. It's not a zero game. It's not when, when I fell in love with my wife. I won't tell you that story. It's long and confusing. But when I fell in love with her, I was in love with her. And I thought, I can't grow anymore in love. This is, this is love. You know, I've, I've found, we love each other. This is great. And then when we had our first kid, I was a little nervous at how will, how could I love more? Like surely my, I've only got these 12, 12 pieces of love and I've run out. But, but something happens and you are able to love more. When I had another kid, the same, and we had four. I, I am recommending that. Yes, do it. <laughs> we had four. Your love will grow. Your love will grow. Your love will grow. <laughs> we your love grows more and more. It's not hard. It's not, you don't divide it up. And the same happened when I grew up in Africa and I loved the people around. I loved the people I, I was in contact with in school with. Loved the people in the church I was with. I moved to Brisbane. I met more people there and I, I loved them. My heart grew and we, we loved them. We moved to Perth. We, we love people here now. You, we love you guys. We went, we've been to Indonesia uh, helping churches there. We love all those people dearly now. We went to Singapore this year earlier for some of the Rosanne people, and we met a bunch of churches and people there, and we love them now. Here's, a, here's the problem. Wherever there are people, you will find your love growing. <laughs> so it's like, where should we go and love? Well, it doesn't matter where. We could, go to, you know, we could go to the Netherlands tomorrow, and we'd find people there, and we'd start loving them. Love is not a zero game. Love expands and grows. Wherever there are people, love can grow. But love also grows in its depth. And Paul says, I want you to increase in your love. He, said, he wants them to increase in the depth of their love. They've loved well. But he says, we can increase in our love for others. I'm sure you've experienced this. As you spend more time with people, you love them more. Is Joel here this morning? No, he's not. Somebody's at the back. No, he's not. He's on kids, so okay. I've known Joel for many, many years. The longer I know him, the more I love him. 
Isn't it true? Like the longer, you, if you know someone for a week or two, you can have a connection and, and enjoy them and you can love them. But the longer you know them, the more you love them and appreciate them because you get to know them better. The longer you know people, the more you know about them and the more actually you know their weaknesses and their, and their, uh, their failings. And strangely, that doesn't cause you to love them less. It causes you to love them more. I have found. You've loved people in Miriam. I met Miriam many years ago. I knew her before Anna knew her. Just saying, as I've said many times. <laughs> and I've more and more appreciated over the years. Brian, you, you married well, mate. And we've got to know you. And Brian, the first few weeks he flew in and we were suspicious of him because we loved Miriam so much. But the more time we spent with Brian, the more we loved him. And the longer we've, as time's gone on, we've loved him more and more. And Brian, now we love you. I'm speaking from Anna and I'm sure the rest of the church would agree. But it was purely a fact, it's just because we didn't love Brian on, on day one. It's just we didn't, hadn't spent time with him and our love hadn't grown deeper yet. I love Ant. I've known Ant a long time. The more I've known you, and the more I've loved you, the more appreciated you. The more we've seen people, Brian, Miriam, Ant, who've gone through struggles and difficulties, the deeper we've loved them. The more we've cried, but the more we've loved. It's a beautiful thing to know people and to love them in a long way. This is the kind of love that Paul's describing in the church. It's not a zero-sum game, and it gets deeper and deeper. You might have known me a little while, and I'm sure when, I, when you met me, I annoyed you. <laughs> and now you've known me a long time, and I still annoy you. <laughs> For those of you Or maybe, praise God, you love me as well as I love you. Love grows in its depth. In the Scriptures... The first commandment in Deuteronomy was to love God with all your heart. Love the Lord your God. It's re the Jewish uh, people repeat that phrase. It has a special word. I can't remember what it is. But love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. It's repeated constantly. The command of God was to love God. In Leviticus, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. It was in the Old Testament commandments. When Jesus comes and he preaches his Sermon on the Mount, he ties both of those together and he says, love God and love your neighbor, the two greatest commandments. He then escalates it even more. This is the kind of love that Paul's describing. He says, love, Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount says, love your enemies. Hello. He's escalating the kind of love that this is. It goes even further, will you believe? In John 15, when Jesus says, no greater love has anyone than he laid down his life for his friends. This kind of love that's being described is even greater than loving your enemies. It is cruciform in its nature. That was a big word I read this week. I thought I'd use it because it sounds very fancy. But all it means is it lays down its life. It is cruciform. It takes on the form that Jesus did in the crucifixion. That is love. 
And this is the kind of love that Paul's asking them to abandon. This love is the God kind of love. It's the love that the Bible uses the word agape, which is, means love in Greek. Greek has lots of different words for love. You know, like, I love my, I love my cat. I love my ice cream. The Greek uses different words for that. <laughs> um, the love of God has a very specific word, and it's this word agape, and it's cruciform in its nature. It gives itself away. And we get that, uh, you may have heard our, we close most of our means with Jesus above all others before me. It comes out of that very description of love. It's explicitly taught, actually, in 1 Corinthians 10, where Paul says, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. That's the Bible version of love. Do not seek your own good, but seek the good of your neighbor. Explicitly taught in 1 Corinthians. Jesus teaches it in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, and I'll quote his quote, he says, Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And this, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says love is to love your neighbor as yourself. You know, our culture takes that verse and wants to make it, wants to shade it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You've got to love yourself, girlfriend. You heard that one? If you watched Oprah back in the 90s, no, most people don't know what that is, all right. No, just, you have to love yourself. That text is not saying that. It says, love your neighbor as yourself, not love yourself. Love your neighbor as if they were yourself. Love your neighbor as if they were yourself. How, it's not about putting myself first, it's about putting others first, as 1 Corinthians clearly states. Let me give you an example of this, how loving our neighbor first works. I've got a, a little thing I want to show you. Harry, can you come up here since you love almond cro uh, croissants so much? <laughs> this, is, this is very delicious. Okay. Oh, Bree, don't look at Bree, don't watch this. Okay, Harry. This is a salted caramel almond croissant. There's one croissant and there's two of us. Okay, just painting the picture. When I say I'm to love my neighbor as myself, how do I do that? In this is a situation, now this is a practical situation, but this applies to any situation. There's two of us, and we both love this croissant. Now, I, I, the Bible says I must love my neighbor as myself. In this situation, if I love myself, girlfriend, I take half the croissant, and I leave a little bit for Harry. Because you know, I've got to love myself first, and then I love him. In the Bible version, it's I love my neighbor as if he were myself. What do I want? I'll tell you what I want. I want to eat that whole thing. <laughs> That's what I want. <laughs> In this situation, Harry, I'm going to love you as my neighbor. Okay. Don't tell Bree, all right? <laughs> eat it quickly. <laughs> well done, Harry. That's what, that, that's what that text means. Love your neighbor as if they were you. 
And what do you do for you? You put me first. So me first and the Gimme Gimme's, another band from when you don't remember. Um, that's the cry of our culture. Don't allow your culture to shape your interpretation of the scriptures because you hear that verse and you go straight to Oprah in your brain. Increase our love, God. Let it transform us. This is the kind of love that comes from God. That's why he prays, may the Lord increase your love. You can't do this. This is not natural in any way. What I just did was supernatural. Giving away. <laughs> that, that, that doesn't, yeah. Jesus must have done something in my heart and life. It's the kind of God love. God is this kind of God love. The agape we're talking about is described in 1 Corinthians 13. You know about it. You've heard it. Love is patience. That's not normal. Love is kind. Mm, yeah, again. It does not envy. Well, I can tell you now, that's not my story. Love does not boast. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. Anyone ever been rude? Is your natural disposition just perfect pleasantness to everyone? Is that anyone? No. It does not insist on its own way. Who thinks their own way is not the best? <laughs> one, one righteous man among us. Thanks, Nate. <laughs> I'm not, I'm pushing harder, I'm pushing on these, I, I agree, Nate, we are transformed, we are able to do these things, because God's given us His Holy Spirit to help us, but by and large, our first response, especially in our worst moments, is none of these things, um, who's not irritable, who is not resentful, who does not rejoice in wrongdoing, who bears all things, have you bared the burden of everything, any burden ever placed on you? especially the placed on you by others. I've not bared everyone's burden. It hopes all things and endures all things. This is definitely not Hollywood or Hallmark love or the social media love, the love of self. It's not I've got that loving feeling. It is have I loved. Can I tell you a little secret? And I know this from the scriptures and from my own experience. You can tell if you're being loving towards someone by how you speak about them. I can prove that to you from the scriptures, but I can prove it to you from my experience, from my life. You know if you're being loving towards someone by how you speak about them. When you speak about someone and you leave that conversation, does that other person you just spoke to, are they more loving towards that person or less? I'm speaking to David about someone, which is not right, actually. When I, when I finish talking to David, he thinks a little less of Jib and, and is a little upset with Jib and a little bit caramel. Is that is that what happened? You can tell if you're being loving. I'm, uh, not David said anything. I said I said the horrible things, Jib. You can tell. How do others feel about the person once you have spoken to them? Maybe it's someone at your work. How do you speak about those at your office? Maybe it's someone in your family. How do you speak about those in your family? Maybe it's someone in your social world. How do you speak about them? Maybe it's someone in church 
for the church as a whole, God's bride. Are people more in love or less in love with them after talking with you? The Bible calls us not just to be honestly honest talk with people, and, and when, we're, when we do have struggles with people, that's the way we should do it. We should go and talk to them face-to-face, one-on-one, and be restored to love. We should do that. But the Bible calls us to more than just talking to them. It calls us to love them, to cruciform love them, to love them like God loves them. This is Paul's prayer. Would you increase and abound in this kind of love? And all this is going on, and this, this really wrecks me, all this is going on under great persecution. This is Paul. What an incredible prayer to be praying for a group of people who are suffering greatly. They are being persecuted. Persecution and suffering can often lead to becoming self-centered. Do you have any struggle? I'm sure every hand would go up if you have struggle. Paul's prayer is that they would increase and abound in love. They would overflow with this ridiculous kind of love, not a human kind, not anything that you can muster up yourself, something you need God's help to do. His prayer is, God, in the midst of great persecution, great suffering, fill in your story there. God, may my love abound more. In the midst of great misunderstanding, great difficulty, May my love abound more and more. May I love at an even deeper level. Suffering can often lead to becoming self-centered. What a prayer Paul is praying in the midst of great trial that their love would abound more and more. That really is profound when you think about it. Life, one of the commentators on this verse, and I'll quote him here, gives this commentary on this verse. He says, life does does to us, sorry, what life does to us depends on what life finds in us. Nothing reveals the true inner person like the furnaces of affliction. Some people build walls at this time of trial and shut themselves off. Others build bridges to draw closer to God's people and to God. This is a challenging prayer, Paul prays. God, would you increase our love to abound? God, we need you to do that. We cannot do it. Paul's prayer actually gets answered in, in the second book to, to the Thessalonians. He opens up in the first couple of verses and he says, I am giving so much thanks to God for you because this is right, because your faith has grown abundantly, the very prayer he prayed, and your love for everyone has been increasing greatly. <laughs> he says, I now see this is possible. Even in the midst of everything, you have abounded in love. Who has abounded in love? They have. Why were they able to abound in love? There's only one real reason, and that's because they know the God who abounds in steadfast love. God is abounding in steadfast love. We love because he first loved us, 1 John says. God's perfect love for us is the perfect cruciform love, and we can know and love love God back. We can experience that. Have you ever, I asked earlier, have you ever experienced that kind of love? 
I don't think it's possible to give this kind of love unless we've received this kind of love from Jesus. You know that God just loves you unconditionally? That despite um, whatever persecution you've directed at God, whatever rebellion you've directed at God, whatever silly things that I've done or you've done, God loves us. And more than that, not only did he love us, but he gave himself up to rescue us and to love us through all the things that we have done. May God grant us the ability to increase and grow in this love. Isn't it wonderful that everything God commands us to do, he also provides for us the help and the resource to do it. You can only love like this with the resource of the Holy Spirit and with God himself. And so verse 13, Paul continues his prayer. That's abounding in love. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it crazy? Anyone who thinks they can just do that naturally? <laughs> Not me. Oh God, help us. Oh God, my prayer right now, even God, would you help us as a church to do that? That even with the people we've struggled with in our workplaces, in our offices, in our families, in the church, God, would you help us to abound in your steadfast love? Would you pour out, oh God, your steadfast love upon us as a church that we might know and experience it and be able to give it to others? And when he finishes praying this, he says, I prayed this so that he may, that God may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, together with all his saints. What is the aim of his prayer? That they abound in love, so that they might be transformed, that God might transform them into the image of Jesus, into more and more holiness. You know, abounding love, when we abound in love, it leads to abounding holiness. Um, so often it seems odd, right? Who, who, when I say to you, let's all get holy, does that excite anyone? Not said like that, you know, let's all, you know, when you have this picture, these stereotypes of the Pharisees, they say, they're just like these, let's get all the rules and make sure everyone's obeying them. Does that sound awesome? Not really. <laughs> Abounding in holiness in general feels like a kind of, uh, is not looked at in a good light. Abounding in love is actually sounds much better. <laughs> Fill us up with your love, God. The point being, what, what kind of love are we talking about? Well, we're talking about the love we've just described. Paul's saying, when you abound in love like this, when, when, as the key thing, when you are growing in this love, your holiness just grows. You know, the more you love people, the less you want to murder them. Yeah? Amen? <laughs> yeah, that's called a growing in holiness. <laughs> I've been married for a long time, and I've I haven't considered divorce, but I've considered murder, murder I think, as, as was it Churchill who said? Someone who said that. Divorce never murder many times. You know, sometimes you, you get frustrated with people, especially those closest to you. <laughs> Confession time, yeah. <laughs> How can we abound in love? How can we grow in love? Well, we need God, <laughs> for sure. But abounding in love causes us to grow in holiness. The more you love, the less you want to murder someone. The more you love, the less you want to steal from them. <laughs> because you love them. I don't, I don't want to steal, you know, if I don't know them and I don't love them, well, it's okay to want to take everything from them. If you love people, you wouldn't want, even want to do that. 
In fact, you would want not even to be angry at them. I know the, the more I've loved my kids, when I've been angry with them, I regret that. I go, oh God, I wish I hadn't done that. Because I do love them. And I wish I wasn't like that. And that goes right through to the people in my life, to the people in the church. The more I love them, the less angry I am towards them. The kinder I want to be. When my love grows, when I really love someone, I want to be kind to them. That's me becoming more holy. It's not because I'm obeying the be kind rule. It's because I'm growing in love. I, become le I don't want to be impatient and I don't want to get my own way. I don't want to put myself first. That's what love does. Love, abounding in love, leads to, verse 12, abounding in holiness. My suggestion is do it in that order. <laughs> much easier, <laughs> much more pleasant. <laughs> um, abound in love. Holy actually is loving. Holiness becomes loving. And he says, I want you to do this in view of Jesus' return. Jesus' return is such a great hope, together with all the saints. I'm going to bring this to a close, and we, Jib will take us into communion in a minute. But everything God calls us to, he supplies the help and the resources to do it. For God to increase our love, he will have to supply the resources to do it. And he will, and he's promised to. Galatians 5 says it. It says that the Holy Spirit gives us fruit, and those fruit, first one of them is love. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all things that God has promised to help us and to give us. The summary of Paul's prayer goes like this when he prays for this church. God, would you make a way for us to be together? I long, I desire to see face to face because there's something good that happens in that space. There's something transformative. There's some impartation, as he says. I want to impart to you something that is lacking. Being together face to face gives us an impartation that is of the Holy Spirit. God, would you bring us together? That is our prayer, even this morning. God, number two, would you increase our love for one another? What kind of love? The God kind, not the I love ice cream kind. The God kind of love. The cruciform kind of love where I put myself second. Not possible without God. <laughs> Well, maybe it is possible, but if you do it without the Holy Spirit, you probably become um, disillusioned and bitter because in your heart, you're still going, why wasn't I first? So to do it well, to do it in the Holy Spirit requires an act of God. God, would you increase our love for one another and then would you transform our hearts into holiness? as a result of our ever-increasing love. As you promised to, as you prayed, as Paul prayed for the Thessalonians, that their love could grow. They hadn't arrived, but they would grow in it. And all this to make us ready for Jesus' return. Now to Him, Ephesians 3, now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than we could ever ask 
or think. According to the power that is at work within you, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all the generations, forever and ever. Amen. Thanks, Jesus.